Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. In the FCBC family, you know how we do it. We live, we love, we serve. Listen, I want to lift up a passage today, uh, and I'm going to try to be as brief as I can so we can get you out today. Uh, found the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. But verse 34 is the centering. I'm going to read it in the New Revised Standard Version and in the Message Bible today. Um, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It's a familiar passage. I, I read it a few months ago, but something different I want to look at today. Matthew 6, again, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. In the Message Bible, I just want, and you could, Ian, you could put just verse 34. I won't read the whole thing, and I want to just read Verse 34 in the Message Bible. Here's what reads. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Amen. Come on. Let's, let's, let's pray. God, thank you for this season. Thank you for this moment. 
Thank you, God, for how even now you are moving in this place. Thank you for worship and thank you for the gift of song and thank you for the gift of praise, oh God, and thank you for love and fellowship. Thank you for these babies today. Thank you for these families today, oh God. Thank you. With everything that has breath, everything that has breath, ought to praise you, oh God. And so we thank you today. Have your way, oh God. Have your way. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I want to just read verse 34 in the message and in the NRSV. In the NRSV, it reads like this. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And in the message Bible, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Amen? Well, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You take your seat. I want this morning briefly for about 16 minutes <laughs> to speak about tomorrow's worries. Tomorrow's worries. This scripture, this passage, this scene is not easy. It is part of what is considered the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, when you read Matthew chapters 5 through 7, those chapters, those three chapters are considered the Sermon on the Mount. Something about that scene is rather unique that often goes unnoticed when we read it in its entirety that we sometimes bypass. It says that in that scene, the crowds were gathering around Jesus before he was about to teach. He had been demonstrating the power of God. But as the crowds gathered, it said Jesus went up to the side of a hill. And when he got to the side of a hill, he then called his disciples up with him. I want you to catch that because when you read Matthew 5 through 7, it is not lessons for the crowd. But Matthew 5 through 7 is message for disciples. Those who have making and taken the, the extra step made the decision to follow Jesus. I have to point that out because you've heard me say this ad nauseum, but there is a, a difference between Christianity and the teachings of Jesus. Some of the things about the church that turn people off is related to the institution. That's Christianity. But my greatest prayer, the reason why I teach the way I do, especially how I teach about Jesus, is because I really want to see more people who take discipleship seriously. Discipleship is not about the rituals or the ceremonies that we sometimes do in church. It's about do you seek? to align your life with the teachings of the carpenter. Plain and simple. Do the teachings of the carpenter, Jesus, help shape how you engage life? I'm not interested in coming to events that we call church on Sunday. I'm not interested in coming to praise events or worship events. I want to know when we come here, do we come here hoping to gain insight on how we should show up in the world? how we should be in the world. Because what Jesus comes to teach in a phrase is the kingdom of God. 
And the kingdom of God is really an alternative way of being in this life. And can I be real with you? It ain't easy. It ain't easy being part of the kingdom. It's not about walking down an aisle and joining a church. If it was that easy, everybody would be in good standing. But when you make a decision to, one, be a disciple, and two, align your life with the teachings of Jesus, it is difficult because every day you are constantly bombarded by images and messaging that is pushing you to live in a way that is kind of different from the way Jesus is encouraging you to live. And that's why this passage in Matthew 6 is difficult. It was difficult when Jesus taught, and it's difficult even today, but for two different reasons. It's difficult today when you hear, do not worry about what you eat or what clothes you wear. It's hard to, 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 to hear that. In fact, if you read all of chapter 6, he talks about the danger of being fixated on financial prosperity on being consumed with having money and being someone who always wants to be flashy and show what you have. He said the Pharisees do that already. He then says in that same passage, he says, listen, you can't serve God and money. You, you, you can't serve God and the things that are attached to money. He says all this in chapter 6. Again, this is for kingdom living. And then he says here in this scene, what, 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 what is it to worry about what you'll eat and, and what clothes you'll have on and all those things? It's difficult today because, again, we are bombarded always with messages that remind us of that, well, have a way of reminding us that we're not enough, or at least we don't have enough. The more you scroll, the more commercials you see, everything is about consumption. And so in some ways, you've heard me say this as well, it is as if to be an American means to fully participate in the capitalistic process and to fully participate in capitalism for your part is to make sure you are the best consumer of goods that you can be. And so often we measure <clears throat> our lives by our capacity to consume. The more you have, the more you feel good, and the more you feel good, the more you want, and somehow who you are is reinforced by your capacity to consume, and we don't ever think about what does it mean when your esteem and your confidence is based on what you consume? What does that then communicate to people who live impoverished lives? Are their lives not worthy? Are their lives not valuable because they don't have access to the capital to be a consumer? Can you imagine spending all your days to give what you you have a way only to prove that you got something. Think about that. Spending your days to take what you have, to give away, to prove that you got, the more you're busy proving what you got, the less you have. And the more you spend your days trying to prove what you got by consuming certain goods, and they're not just any goods, they're not just regular goods, they are goods with nice labels and nice names that ain't even your name. If you really want to work it, you ought to get some stuff made with your own name on it and feel good about that. When the last time you put your name on some stuff, you don't need all that stuff. You busy making other people famous because you're wearing their stuff and then you feel bad about you and you need somebody else's name to feel good about yourself and somehow the more you wear somebody else's name the better you feel about you the more you consume the better you feel about you that doesn't make sense and so here this passage is difficult even now because this is talking about another way of being and living that is not steep in fixation or consumption or material goods to prove your value and to prove your worth but it's also difficult back then for another reason. Jesus is speaking to poor people. 
who lived with food scarcity, even as now. And when you have food, it's easy to say, don't worry about what you will eat. When you have garments, it's easy to say, don't worry about what you will wear. But what is interesting is that Jesus, one, one writer said, these sound like the words of, of a Jesus who chilling by the beach, who going surfing, ain't got to care for the world. But no, this is Jesus who is impacted by the same poverty that the people he's talking to is impacted by. He is talking to people who wrestle with food insecurity and people who wrestle with having garments to wear. He's telling them, don't worry about these things. So on two levels, this passage is problematic. It's troubling. Gandhi said, one of my favorite quotes, Gandhi said, for a hungry person, food is God. It is hard to teach someone the deeper things of life when they're hungry. In fact, there are countless moments where Jesus, even before he taught one occasion, he perceived their hunger and decided to show them God can supply rather than just teach them by feeding thousands that day. Or what about the encounter Jesus had with the rich young ruler who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus then says to him, well, what does the law say? And he goes through all that the law says, and, you know, honor thy mother, thy father, do thou shalt not kill, love your neighbor as yourself. And then here comes Jesus. He says, it says, the scripture says, and loving him, Jesus says, okay, good. Take everything you have, sell it, and give the money to the poor. The man couldn't do it. He walked away hurt, broken, gnashing of teeth because they said he had many possessions. Jesus is consistent here. What Jesus is talking about is not an insult to hungry people or an insult to people who don't have garments. What he is saying, if you read the whole of chapter 6 in its entirety, is this. It is not that you don't think about tomorrow. We all think about tomorrow. Some of you right now have your plans made for tomorrow and scheduling meetings tomorrow and work tomorrow. He's not saying don't worry about clothing and food. All those things are essential. That's not what Jesus is saying. The reason why we don't always get what Jesus is saying, Alicia, is because we're handicapped by limited language called English. And in the text, the English word says, worry. Don't worry. Doesn't that sound correct? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. No, that word for worry in the Greek is called, watch this, meremneso. Meremneso does not mean worry. It means excessive worry, excessive concern, or excessive anxiety. I hope you get this. So it is not that Jesus is saying, don't worry. He's saying, don't excessively preoccupy yourself with tomorrow to the point where you are now suffering panic attacks and anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders are simply fixating on fear in such a way that it interrupts your daily activity because you're constantly thinking about it, constantly worrying about it. You can't even stay in the moment or stay in the day because you're worried about what might happen, what could happen, or tomorrow or the next day. Jesus simply saying, stay present in the moment. Why? Today, this moment has enough concern. This moment has enough things to be concerned about. Don't double your worry by being fixated on tomorrow. 
How many of you in here can testify? Show your hands. You're guilty of never staying or hard, finding it hard to stay in the moment. You're thinking about tomorrow and not just thinking about work or meetings, but you're excessively worried about the next day. Look what Jesus says. He said, look at the birds. They neither gather nor store, and they still got it. Look at the lilies of the field, green as can be, and they here today, gone tomorrow, just like us. He said, no, if those things can be provided for by God, on today, you got to believe that today God can provide for you. It is not that you don't worry, but don't be excessive in your worry to the point where you begin to panic. And even when I hear myself say that now, I say that's still challenging. But hold on. Hold on. He's talking about kingdom. Wait a minute. Because in the kingdom, think about it. In the kingdom, we don't get fixated on greed or selfishness or opulence or excess. In the kingdom, we seek to make sure that all needs are met for everybody. See, this is why this is different. He's created an alternative life called the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, we don't turn our heads on injustice. We don't turn our heads on hunger. We don't turn our heads on those who are suffering and those who don't have. We seek ways in the kingdom to make provision for those who don't have so that no one is needy. I didn't say that we're going to find a way. I'm going to give you an idea. We have a benevolence fund here trustees. And, and in some of the most difficult times, people reached out for help from the church. That's what we're here for. And we make it clear. We have helped with housing. We, we've helped people with heat and air. We've helped them. Somebody called one time and came to the trustees. I don't even know their number. And, and, and Kathy, they said, listen, I, I need my cell phone bill paid. <laughs> we don't pay cell phone bills. You can live without that. In fact, some of us need to try living without it for a day. But we try to meet needs. That's the point. The essential things that people need to survive. We feed children. We provide clothing. We help people with their mental health. We, do the, we provide those things because why? Not because we're FCBC, but because we are part of the kingdom of God. And we try to meet the needs of those who are part of the kingdom. And if we do our work right, no one has to excessively worry about food. No one has to excessively worry about what to wear because we are seeking to not just talk about church, but to be the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is saying. He was not speaking to the crowds. He was speaking to disciples about what life ought to be like in the kingdom. And if you are part of church, that's different. If you're part of the kingdom, you don't bypass hunger and you don't bypass homelessness and you don't bypass people who have nothing to wear. We don't do nice gestures because it's a good thing to do. We do what we do because we're part of the kingdom of God. The why is important. And Jesus said, listen, today. Is all you have. I love it because when you read the New Revised Standard Version, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what you read and you find out upon study is that of God is an addition and his is an addition. Redaction. The original language says, seek ye first kingdom and righteousness. Whoa. So now it says, seek kingdom, kingdom. What that means. 
What does it mean to be part of the kingdom? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you gave me something to wear. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. That's kingdom in a nutshell. Seek first kingdom. Be the kingdom. Show up as a kingdom and righteousness. That means we don't turn a deaf ear to social injustice. We don't ignore the plight of those who are suffering in our country. We don't ignore where we see racism and sexism and patriarchy and brutality and domestic violence. We don't turn a deaf ear to that or a blind eye to those things because part of the kingdom means helping those who are shackled and held captive to be liberated and free and to preach the release of those who find themselves bound by oppressive structures. That's kingdom work. And when we do the kingdom work, we can look boldly at people and say, don't worry about tomorrow. We got you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, I got three minutes. Here it is. Watch it. Why? I'm going to get to you. I'm done. Here it is. Why today? Here's what studies show. Saw this in psychology today. That every day, human beings, the average human being, makes 35,000 decisions a day. You might like, that's a lot. Two decisions every second. Right now, you fan it, that's a decision. You turned your head, that's a decision. You picked your head up, that's a decision. You decided to look at me differently, that's a decision. You're rubbing your head, you're rubbing your elbow, you move your arm, all decisions. When you said, wow, that's a decision, Joyce. When you bent over to laugh, that's a decision. 35,000 decisions a day. Think about that. If there are 35,000 decisions a day, and some of those decisions, Ebony, can cause panic, anxiety, and fear. Why would you then add tomorrow's 35,000? Why would you sit around living every day with 70,000 potential decisions you gotta make? Why would you do that to yourself? And here's the thing, today's decisions are real, tomorrow's are illusions. You miss that. Can I help you for a second? For those of you who are always worried right now about tomorrow and what tomorrow going to bring, can I guess there is, watch this, there is no such thing as tomorrow. Uh-oh. What do you mean, pastor? There is no such thing as tomorrow. Watch this. If I say this at funerals a lot, one of those arrogant things that human beings can say is, I'll see you tomorrow. Arrogant. As if you know tomorrow is going to come. As if you have guarantees about tomorrow. You don't even know what the next five minutes is going to bring, let alone telling somebody, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow? No, that's the greatest, that's the most hopeful statement you could ever make. Or how about this? I'll talk to you later. Arrogance. I'll see you tomorrow. Arrogance. We'll do it next week. Arrogance. I'll plan for that next year. Arrogance. You want to plan for your joy next year and miss your joy right now for all these reasons that ain't got nothing connected to what you can do today. How many of you have put off your joy for another time instead of enjoying joy right now in this moment? Why? Because tomorrow ain't real. If you say tomorrow we'll do this, it ain't even been born yet. That means you got 35,000 decisions in a day that ain't even real. That means every other compounded anxiety you got are all illusions that you now feel you need to address. No! You got enough trouble today. You, You can do bad all by yourself today. Let alone add tomorrow's grief on top of that. 
Now, let me go back philosophically for a second, and I'll be done for now. I've extended my time by three minutes, by the way. Watch this. Somebody's saying, no, tomorrow's real. No, it ain't. What's today's date? October 9th. That's all you know. What was yesterday? October 8th. Dead. So when you now get caught in this, because here's a fancy word for yesterday, regret. So when you live a regret about what has already transpired, that means you're spending time in what has already died. Or if you now balance your 35,000 decisions about right now, you're now lamenting the 35,000 decisions you made on yesterday. Uh-oh. Plus the 35,000 you got today, and then the 35,000 you got tomorrow. That's 105,000 decisions you're worrying about in one day. When you get to tomorrow, what's tomorrow called? Today. So you never get to tomorrow. Because when you get to tomorrow, it's called today. And when you get to today, it's called what? Now. So you're in now time right now. Tomorrow will be now when you get there. It won't be tomorrow. So tomorrow, you never hit it. If you ever catch tomorrow, I'm nervous. So you move from now to now to now to now to now. And in fact, can I tell you this? Now is made up of seconds, minutes that make up now. I learned something at Morehouse called God's Minute. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Force upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. If I suffer, if I abuse it, give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. All you got is right now, beloved. This minute right now, you don't know nothing about a minute from now, you know this minute right now. And what happens if you see that each minute is filled with eternity, and each minute is filled with the opportunity, and each minute is filled with possibility, and each minute is filled with everything you need to be you. Why? Because you show up with each minute, and you show up in each minute knowing that you're whole, complete, and you lack nothing. That means if you move from minute to minute, moment to moment, that you are filled with every possibility that abounds. And the only thing that does not make itself manifest is the thing you don't make manifest. That means when you get to your now moment and your right now moment, that means every Every hope, every aspiration, every dream, you have to bring to fruition right now, not tomorrow because it don't exist right now. So don't put off the tomorrow what you got right now to do. And so in other words, you're sitting here right now and you're looking at me right now and this is resonating with you. And if I say this, give God praise, what you going to do? Give God praise. You're going to be cute. But see, I know folk right now. I got, folk, I got members right now who are in beds transitioning and can't clap their hands and can't speak anymore and can't thank God for what's going on. And here we are with all these activities and you forgot to be grateful. In other words, you only got right now to give God glory for what is happening in your life. That's all you got. That's all you have. And the issue is, here it is, can you thank God right now? Can you praise God right now? Can you be grateful right now? Can you lift up holy hands right now? Because this is all you got. This is it. So let tomorrow's worries be tomorrow's worries. Live right now. Because this is all we have. This is all we know. And in this moment of gratitude, I want to know, can you just sing this right quick? This is a moment of praise, Dante. You'll feel me in a minute. Because this means something. If you're grateful right now, let me see your hands right now. Somebody said, hallelujah. 
is the highest praise. Yeah, hallelujah is the highest praise. And here's what we say to God. God, my hallelujah belongs to you. We, we, we're getting ready to go out of here, but here, my hallelujah belongs to you. How many of you know that right now? My hallelujah, hey, belongs to you, oh God. You deserve it, oh God. For every mountain and every trial and every struggle and every hardship that you brought me through, my hallelujah belongs to you. Belongs to you. And so, and so here, we're going to leave praising, worshiping today. And so two things before you go today. One, parents of these babies, you stick around here and get them bottles and those certificates. Secondly, there may be some of you here today who've never been baptized. And you feel like, I want to be baptized at this place. After service, you can come down to my left, your right. And our all-in team will be right here in a purple shirt to receive you. But right now, before we leave, it says that when Jesus was with the disciples during Passover, we call the Last Supper, it said after they finished eating, feasting, so they left, they went to the Mount of Olives singing. And when these doors opened today, I want us to go out singing. And let this song be your benediction. And can I tell you, this is old school church for a second. I ain't even going to tell you when to leave. I'm going to tell them to open the doors right now. Open those side doors, beloved. And we're going to just sing. And when you feel you're good, have a good day. But I want us to lean in right now. And if you're able, just stand with us today. We're going to leave here worshiping today. All right? And I know you know the words. Come on, Dante. Get your coat song. Get yourself together. And now, get your voice right. Come on. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.